opportunity uh, in a series on God's economy on the on the podcast, and uh, had four of them go out so far. The uh, first one was on January 10th, and on that one dealt with stewardship, and then the second one was on meritocracy, which means things being rewarded according to merit, the effort put forth, the diligence put forth, what type of work. That's the way God's overall economy works. He rewards merit. He also actually uh, uh, punishes and corrects a lack of diligence and a lack of effort. It's, it's uh, the way God does things. Then dealt with the avoidance of debt, some things to help with that. And uh, I really hope you'll get that one. The, the first one on the 10th was a Tuesday, and then it's publishing Tuesday and Saturday each week, four of them. So we had the one on stewardship. It gives you an overall view of this. And then the one on meritocracy. And then there's one on the, on the podcast there, the next one, avoidance of debt. And I go into some detail explaining when the scripture talks about that the borrower is servant to the lender. And I think I give you a good biblical basis for understanding some things with the decisions of debt that people make. And uh, it would be a help to you with that to, to make some good choices on that. And then uh, this last one uh, on this past uh, yesterday was on uh, worshiping God with our resources. The longest of those recordings is 10 minutes and 30 seconds. The shortest is 6 minutes and 22 seconds. The other two are 10 minutes and 7.30 respectively. And so they're, they're brief and uh, they deal with the general idea. They're not lengthy explanations of everything attached to this, but it's putting our mindset into a good focus, understanding scripturally that God has an economy. It's more than just our finances. It's more than just our resources. It's how everything fits together. You know, when uh, uh, we experience things in our country and through decisions that were made and such, there, our economy was so greatly affected, there was much more than just money affected. Uh, there, the, the, the suicide rates went up. The drug addictions went up. The, the damaged relationships went up. Why? Because economy, you've got to think of the whole interacting of things. And so that's what the eight-part series is on. I hope you'll take time to learn some about that. First Corinthians chapter 15. Not sure how to find our podcast. No, there's information on the table on the foyer. I'll tell you about that. If you go out to Lighthouse Baptist Church of Lancaster, it'll get you there in Lancaster, Ohio. You'll end up at Paul Chapel's church out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania right away if you don't designate that to go there. And you can subscribe. If you subscribe, it doesn't cost you anything, but it'll let you know when new publications come out. 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to take the Bible this morning and uh, look at a portion in this. Of course, we were just in 1 Corinthians 15 on Wednesday where we dealt with the issue of amazed to be an apostle. And we dealt with some of the verses out of this chapter where Paul was just amazed that God would use him. Paul was not a good fellow. He, he actually persecuted God's church and was very vicious towards God's people and yet found mercy in the eyes of the Lord. And he, uh, of course, became the instrument by which God would pin most of your New Testament. And so it's an amazing study on that. But today I want to talk to you about the resurrection. It's realities and implications. It's realities and implications with that. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that it is the cornerstone of the foundation of our faith. Now, some of you conversing with the Bible, you may have verses come to your mind where it talks about uh, the church built upon the foundation of the apostles, 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. More than one reference that refers to Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Now follow this. And you say, okay, preacher, you said the resurrection is. Yes, and uh, I, I mean that. And in fact, Jesus said to Martha when her brother Lazarus had died, and Jesus came, and Lazarus, of course Martha was very upset about her brother. She was actually a little upset at Jesus, maybe more than just a little, because they had sent word and he delayed his coming, and then Lazarus died. And Martha came to him and said, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. And, uh, of course, Jesus told her that He would live again. He said, I know He will live again, the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. And we tend to think of the resurrection as an event, someone coming up from the dead. There's nothing wrong with that, and that is part of what the meaning is. But the resurrection is a person. It's Jesus Christ. It is by His power that we are resurrected. The same one who keeps us by His power also raises us by His power. He's a living God, and uh, thank God one day uh, we'll know that, that power. And uh, our spirit's already been resurrected. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says that. When we accepted Christ, acknowledged the fact we were sinners, that we had, uh, by choice, had chosen sin in our life. We were by nature and decision sinners. And we came to Christ and asked Him to be our Savior, trusting Him. When we did that, we were literally resurrected inside our spirit. That's what the Bible talks about, a new man. And you were dead in trespasses and sin. Christ made us alive. All this good stuff has to do with the resurrection, its realities, its implications. Um, on Calvary, the crowd, the chief priests, the scribes, and the thieves, one of the thieves taunted Jesus. And uh, with these words, they said, Save thyself and come down from the cross. Can you imagine that? In his agony, they're saying that. They're mocking him. They're saying, Hey, you're supposed to be king of the Jews. Save yourself. Come down. We'll believe on you. But I'm going to tell you something. If He had come down from the cross, He would indeed have saved Himself, but we would have been lost. He chose instead to endure the cross. He did not come down from the cross. He came up from the grave. And because He did that, thank God that He's able to save unto the uttermost them that come unto God by Him. The resurrection is reality. And there are implications. There are things that are taught that are more than just an implication. There are things that are just categorically taught that have to do with the fact that we have a risen Savior. Jesus is not one of many great religious teachers. He is not one of many ways. He said to Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. He's not one of many great teachers. It's a shame to even speak about something like Islam and call it a great religion and put it beside Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. I told my class we had some people from the Jehovah's Witness group. I don't call them a church. It's actually a cult. And they came to our home on Friday. Friday's the one day of the week I take off. You may send me a text or something on Friday and not hear from me. I started to apologize for that. I don't. I just need to inform you why that doesn't happen. <laughs> Because it's the one out of seven days I take off. And with the preacher taking off, that means I go incommunicado unless there is an emergency. And I deem what's an emergency. Okay, so we do that. But uh, that's the one day of the week I do that. And so I only did about two hours of study and I answered, got a hold of some people in other ministries and stuff. But other than that, I took Friday off. And so I was round back in my grubbies taking care of some, some things and wrestling my dogs at the same time. It's a good way to spend the day. 
My wife hollers out the back door and says, there are people knocking on the door. And I said, I'll surprise them. So I come around the house and scared them. Well, I think I come bouncing around there up on that porch. And I said, hi. And I've got my uh, poor man's Carhartt, one of, those, one of those deals you get from Rural King, you know. I had that thing on. And uh, I said, hi, y'all. Like that. And they're like, oh, and turn around. And the lady, she is there and had a young man with her. And uh, there's somebody in the van. And uh, she said, hi. She says, we're just in the neighborhood. And then time, there's so much bad news, we're trying to tell people some good news. I said, y'all Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, you from the Jehovah's Witnesses. She goes, yes, we are. And I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is Jehovah God in the flesh. I believe that He was not created. He had no beginning. He has no end. My wife could tell you, I just had a sermon. They stood very attentively, listened. And I went through the Scripture. I was not unkind to them at all, but I went through the Scripture. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, and the Lord was gracious to give me a lot of Scripture, to showing them that the Bible teaches that Jesus is not a created being. Their Bible that they call, that they use, the, uh, the New World Translation, which by the way is from the same text as the New International Version. That New World Translation says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. I pointed this out to him. And the word, oh, by the way, they're carrying little, they're carrying little uh, tablets now instead of literature. So they've gone high tech. And um, JW, just wired. Amen. Um, <laughs> I told him at one point, I told him, I said, I'm actually Jehovah's Witness because I'm here to witness to you about Jehovah in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And I witness about him. And so I tell them about this, but they, uh, I told them in, in John 1, in their, in their book they have, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Listen to it. And the Word was a God, small g. They teach that Jesus Christ was a created being. In fact, that makes Him a demigod. He's on par with anything you've ever heard of in mythology. And they, that's what they believe. And I talked to them about that. Talked to them about that. And, and uh, who He is. He's God in the flesh. And I told him, I said, how in the world could he be, you call him Savior, if he's not God? Who can save but God alone? Remember, we learned that in Sunday school about that, didn't we? They were letting that fellow down through the roof. And Jesus, seeing their face, said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. The scribes that were listening said, Who is this man that blasphemed? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus turned to them, the Bible says, knowing their thoughts, and said, that you may know that the Son of Man, referring to Himself, has power on earth to forgive sins, He said to the, the man, arise and walk. What did He do? He said, I have power not to forgive sins. Check your Bible. Jesus was worshipped by people. They fell down at His feet and worshipped Him. He never corrected them, never stood them up. Every single apostle you have, every prophet you had, when somebody tried to worship that prophet or apostle, they said, don't do that, worship God. Get up. Don't do that, worship God. And uh, not Jesus. They went to worship Him. He led him. Why? Because He's God. He called Himself, I Am. Just like out of the burning bush. He told Philip, if you've seen the Father, you've seen Me. He said in John 10, I and My Father are one. He, the Word, I told him the Word, only begotten Son of God. And that's messed up in their thing too. Just like it is in the NIV and several others that say the one and only Son of God. That's completely incorrect. Only begotten monogenes of the same genetics. Amen. 
Amen and amen and amen. That's why the Bible starts out, and God said, let us make man in our image. That's why it talks about him in the council of himself before the foundation of the world, who was a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's the reason why you, being made in the image of God, talk to yourself when you're trying to figure something out. You say, I thought that was a sign I was crazy. No, it's not. There are other signs that you're crazy. That's a sign that you were made in the image of a triune God. And so the fact you argue with yourself is the problem. But it, <laughs> the fact you get mad and won't talk to yourself. These things indicate that there's more, a deeper problem. Jesus Christ is the resurrection. It's not just an event, although it is an event. It's a person. It's a person. And uh, thank God for him. I'm glad, glad with that. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. And you understand there was, there was a group of people among the Jewish people that were called Sadducees. You'll see them. You have Pharisees. They were a very strict group. Literally, they believed the Bible. And that was a good thing. In many doctrinal things, they were correct. But in some others, they were not. And they took the tradition of men and made it equal to the commandment of God. That's where the problem came. And they had a heart problem with that. Then you had the scribes, which were people made their living just copying, copying. And usually in the Bible, when you're hearing about scribes, almost always it's talking about people who copied the Bible. That's what they did for a living. Wrote it down, you know. You have to think time period. They didn't have any way of copying. And then you have the Sadducees are mentioned. The Sadducees were literally the Jewish liberals of their day. They didn't take the Bible literally for what it says. They did not believe in spirits. They did not believe in the resurrection. And so some of that false doctrine of those folks had come over into the early church. So there were people in the early church who were being influenced by these false doctrines. You would be amazed if you knew, and some of you will you'll key into this word and take it a different way in a political realm, but you would be amazed to know that some of the Jehovah's Witness doctrine comes from something that's called Arianism. It goes way, way, way back. These false doctrines aren't new. You know, I was talking to somebody who's part of the, truly a part of the pagan religion. We tend to call somebody not say they're pagan, but pagan's actually a religion. And they like to brag how old their religion is. Now, I was telling me, oh, it's very old. I can take you back to Genesis and show you. Very old. It's called, it's called the uh, back at Mystery Babylon, the cage of every hateful and unclean bird. It's been around since Genesis 3. I can take you right back to the origins of it. Yeah, it's old. So is the devil. So what? Amen. <laughs> Arsenic's old too. Don't don't take it, <laughs> okay? And and, and so <laughs> antiquity does not prove validity, and that's important. If it did, I'm getting more valid every year. Hallelujah, amen. But let's look at the verse here. If y'all don't quit distracting me, we'll never get out of here. We'll be able to sled right on the hill before we're done. All right, look in verse twelve. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? See the question asked. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Makes sense. If there's no such thing as this, then He couldn't have risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain? And your faith is also vain. Now look, if I ask you all to raise your hands if you believe on the Lord, probably nearly every hand, if not every hand in this room, would go up this morning. And I could say to you on the authority of the Word of God, if there's no resurrection, then what you've believed is completely vain and empty. Because it all pivots on the fact that Jesus Christ defeated death. In every form, the death of sin, the death of this flesh, all of it's been defeated. Thank God for it. And we're going to see that one day in a grand culmination. Verse 15, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, 
That is, if there's no resurrection. Because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not, then is uh, that the dead rise not. Verse 16, I read that two, those two together. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Simple logic. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. You understand, sin could never truly be taken away without the resurrection of Christ. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ, which is a way of saying they had died, are, are perished. When um, March 16th, of three years ago, when I put, we put my mama's body in the grave on top of that hill in eastern Kentucky, she wasn't there. By, without the resurrection, mom would have just perished. It would have been over. But thank God it isn't. Amen. Thank God it isn't. If in this life only, verse 19 there, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man... I want you to pay careful attention to these next couple of verses here, and I'll come back to them. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. That's why Christ had to be made in the form of a man, as you'll read about form and fashion, those type of words used, if you read Philippians 2. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die. Everyone who descends from Adam will die at some time except for those who get to be here during the resurrection or during the, the rapture. That'd be awesome. But so all of us descend from Adam. We have a common thing. We all die. Richest person in the world when they die, they die. They take nothing with them. The poorest person in the world when they die, they die. They take nothing with them. The most uh, erudite, the most intellectual, the most educated person in the world when they die, they leave everything and all, all that they influence that they could have ever had. The person who lives their life most ignorantly of all things, when they die, they die. If one thing happens, it's a great leveling thing to all mankind. And Adam, those who were born to Adam, you say, well, that's everybody because you have Adam and Eve and then the whole descendants. In fact, Eve's name means the mother of all living. The Bible teaches that. So that's everybody. Okay, then look what it says there. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You say that means everybody is made alive? No, in Christ. That's what the Bible says happens when you become, I'm going to use Jesus' words here, born again. You have one birth, you're just born unto Adam. You never accept Christ. You're never born again. You experience what the Bible calls the second death. It's a horrible thing. It's described in Revelation 21. Then if you're born twice, having had the physical birth, as I did in 1964, having had second birth, which I had in 1980, and you're born again, then you don't have the second death. You're born twice, you die once. You're born once, you die twice. And so, as it says there, in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end, and it does come, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. We haven't seen that yet, but that's coming. The last enemy, 
I love this verse. I've had it underlined a long time in different Bibles. The last enemy, look at the term that's used, that shall be what? Destroyed. Not just overcome, but destroyed. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is what? Death. Oh, that's a, that's a grand thing, isn't it? Thank God for that. And so I love it that that happens with it. Implications. Look back in verses 21 22. By man came death. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. I explained verse 22 to you. But what happened, what ended up happening, Lucy, Jesus entered into the same arena where man lost. Adam sinned in the flesh. And death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. When Jesus came, He went into that same arena and took upon Himself flesh. And yet He had this testimony that no one could refute. Even those who had followed Him around trying to find something to accuse Him of. These were professional politicians who followed Him around trying to find trouble. Brother, uh, uh, Brother John Jenkins gets in some of the more unusual situations in life you've ever seen. Some years ago, he called me one day. He said, Brother Phil, i got to tell you what I've got to do. We were talking. He had given the Gospel to Susan... Uh, to to uh, Palin. What's her first name? Sarah. Sarah and Carter. Susan. That's her cousin. Um, Sarah Palin and her, and her husband. He said, I'm convinced from talking to her. She knows the Lord is her Savior. She came from an Assembly of God background and, and such, but it was trusting the Lord, not her works and such. And he got to go in the house in detail. She was getting ready to go moose hunting. Well, amen. Now, fellas, even if you wouldn't want your wife to hunt moose, if she does and can, be respectful. <laughs> be my advice right there. And, uh, but he said as he talked to her and talked to her husband, and, uh, and I think Todd's his name anyway, he started talking to him. And uh, going in detail, they got talking about when she was tagged as a potential vice president. And talked about what that was like. Now, she'd already been a governor, so she was under public light and scrutiny. But she said as soon as that tag that she was going to be potentially the uh, vice president for McCain, and that started out, she said it was unbelievable. She told Brother John, she said they actually had people come in and harass everybody in their town, everybody she had known, trying to find anything or just anybody who would show up and show up and say something bad about her. They actually rented a house right across from her and got a, got a place and tried to do surveillance where they could find anything. And she said it was just unbelievable. They didn't want to find out truth. They would bypass anything good. They were just looking for that thing that they could do to her. Well, you know, Jesus had those people following Him all the way through His ministry. The Bible says they purposefully were looking for a reason to destroy Him. They weren't trying to find out the facts. They were trying to destroy Him. So they were looking. And in fact, when they started the trial, the fake trial of Him, they were looking. For, they, they called forth false accusers that would accuse Him. They went and found people who knew they would lie and, and so that they would reach the conclusion that they wanted. But then Jesus said, that's, he said, that's conspiracy theory. No, that's Bible fact. And do you know what the Bible says? And nobody could refute it. In fact, one time Jesus stood up in front of all these people following Him around trying to find... Can you imagine having somebody follow you all the time trying to find you mess up in one word? One action? I don't believe they'd have a lot of gas out of their tank with me before they'd be able to go tell somebody something. Amen. But I'll tell you this. um, I appreciate you not amen in that right there since they're talking about me. But... Here's what happened. Uh, the, the, he turned around and he said to him, he said, which one of you accuses me? 
He called him to the face. He said, who, who among you could, could accuse me of wrong, ill, wrongdoing, sin? They couldn't. And then it says about him, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. What does that mean? It means he no deceit, nothing with that. That's Jesus, you see. And so what happens is, in verse 21, it says, For by man, that was Adam, came death. Here Adam was, innocent, and in a perfect environment, and yet sins against God. Even so, in Christ, or excuse me, uh, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And so Jesus, God, entered into mankind's form to defeat sin and death because Adam had failed in the form of man. And so God came and made it right in the form of a man. Thank God for that. That's why there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. There's only one that can go between us and the Lord. I teach you the Bible, but I'm not a mediator for you. I pray for different ones of you at different times, but I'm not a mediator for you. There's one mediator, one that can stand between you and God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can call a fellow by whatever title you want. You can put robes on him till he looks like he ought to be sitting on a doll shelf. But if he, he cannot be your mediator, he cannot forgive your sin. Only Christ can do that. Thank God for it. And uh, I'm glad. So those are powerful verses. To understand verses 21 and 22, we need to understand a very, very powerful but very short chapter in Romans. Look in Romans uh, chapter 5, if you will, please. Romans chapter 5. I'm talking to you today about the importance of this resurrection. The power, the implications of it with that. The realities of it. Romans chapter 5. Let's go through this. It says, Therefore being justified by faith. Justified just as if we'd never sinned. Standing in God's sight. Clean. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and hope and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you can imagine this area over here being a place that's called grace. And in that grace, we have all those eternal promises of God that God knew us before the foundation of the world, that we would be preserved blameless that we could have the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that we could live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. All that's in this place called grace. Everyone who's in that place that's called grace has all those things. Those are the elect of God. Those who are in that place called grace. Look how the Bible says, look at the word that's used. By whom we have, what's the word? Access. You see it there in your Bible? What's access? That's the way you go. There's a... Uh, Baptistry changing room in behind here. I just disappeared off the camera. That's fine. I look better that way. Um, there's a baptistry changing room right here with the keys so the little tiny children don't find the 1,200 gallons of water and the bigger ones don't go cannonballing or anything like that. If I'm going back in here, I have access by this door. And I go through this door and in here by the miracle of technology I can still preach to I'm in a place that I entered by this door. When I come from there to this place, that's the access into one place or another. Do this before I forget. It's clean and neat in there. That makes me happy. They, uh, I have access by faith into grace, a place called grace. By the way, there's places in the Bible, Wayne, where Jesus is referred to as the door. He's called the door. And why? Because He is our access. All the good that God has 
the eternal life of God is accessed by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you get in there. You're not born in there. You're not chosen another in there and others are chosen out. Grace isn't a thing with walls and no entry. There's access. There's a door. His name is Jesus. Access by faith. And look at that there. Wonderful, wonderful thing with it. Then look in verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Sounds almost odd, doesn't it? Trouble. Also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Now do not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for who, church? The ungodly. There's all kinds of people trying to get themselves cleaned up enough to come to God. <laughs> Verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure, that's a great Bible word, means maybe or perhaps, Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Some would do that. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet what? You better get that down. While we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. What did He do? Christ died for us. Much more then. <laughs> Being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Not going to go to hell. I'll never stand before the great white throne of, of, of uh, judgment, the great white throne judgment of God. I'll never stand in that place. I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but that's an accountability for what I use this life for that He's given me. But I'll not stand before that great white throne. I cannot hear, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Why? Because God in His mercy saved me by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood is my only claim. His mercy is my only stay and foundation. And His promises are sure. He can keep me by His power. If you're saved this morning, that's yours too. Verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, the sin, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And so God gave the law so man would know his sinful condition showing what he needed and what it was. Nevertheless, death reigned. It was in charge. From Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. They had not done exactly what he did. Who is the figure of him that is to, was to come? But not as the offense, so is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead. That's that entering in of sin and death through Adam. Much more, the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift, 
It's talking about there things like uh, the gift of God's eternal life. We'll see that. What is this? The free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Many offenses. In my years of witnessing to people, sometimes I've had people that are trying to, to say, well, I need to uh, confess all my sins. Sometimes people think that's what's needful. Well, you have a prodigious memory if you can remember all of them. And by the way, from what I've, been, what I've observed about our nature is, as people, we're not going to remember all of them accurately because we're not going to call everything sin that God calls sin. Somebody says, well, I confess all my sins and I'll get saved. Well, if you forget one, honey, go to hell, are you? That's, 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 that's weird theology. It has nothing to do with the Bible. That, 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 that's Catholic doctrine. You're doing penance. You're not getting right. It's crazy. Now, you confess you're a sinner. Oh, there may be specific things you need to talk to about the Lord. And I'm talking about for you when you accept the Lord. You admit to Him you have a need. You quit depending on your own goodness. You admit to Him you have a need. And what happens? Because of that, you come to Him in a humble heart that is willing to receive Him as Lord. Look what else it says there uh, as we go down with it. It says, verse, uh, uh, verse 19 again, For as by one man's disobedience were, uh, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. I'll tell you what that means. God had to put a measurement down so man could see how crooked he was. Because man kept in self-denial saying, we're good, we're good. All the way back to Tower of Babel, you think about, let us make a tower to reach to heaven and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And God said, I'm going to show you exactly what you are. It's a good day when God brings you to the measure of yourself when you see it in reality. It's a good day. By the way, check your Bible. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord lifted up, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He fell down as if he was dead. He said, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips. You find John on the Isle of Patmos when he saw Jesus in his glorified state, he fell down as if he were dead. He had to go. Daniel, when he saw the Lord, fell down as if he were dead. Had to be raised up. Rise up, Daniel. Put him back up on his, his, his feet there with that. Over and over in the Bible. Why? Because when we see the true holiness of God, when God starts showing us how good He really is, we'll get over this pretense of looking down and saying, well, I'm as good as anybody else. What does that matter? You know? Suppose you got a you got you know ten people in the room. They're all thieves and liars and and uh, extortioners and that. And they look around. Well, I'm good as anybody else in this room. Well, so what? Being the least stinky among the putrid is not a good good title. Look at this, verse twenty. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, once you knew your sinfulness, we have a lot of people who want to get right, want to get experience. Want to say they won't accept Jesus, but they won't admit they're wrong. Well, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Much more. Much more. Far above and beyond. That as sin hath reigned unto death, that's what it brings us to, even so might grace reign, this idea of it's in charge, through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The reality of the resurrection is that Christ rose from the dead. The reality of the resurrection is that we will be raised because of Him. The implications and the teaching of the resurrection is this. Because of it, we can walk in fullness and the power of God and live the resurrected life day by day. Not just wait until that day when our body will be changed, but every day living a resurrected life. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
What are we doing? We put our affections and our desires towards the things of God instead of the things of the earth. And, and we end up living a life that shows the resurrection, the vitality, the life of God. As I've quoted in this church, as I've said to this church rather, as I've written, as I've put out on the side, a living God should make a difference in our living. A living God should make a difference in our living. You serve a living, a living Savior, He needs to make a difference in your living. Your speech, your actions, your attitudes, your relationships, your forgiving, what you do. A living Savior. A living Savior. Our dying world needs to see some people who are following the living Savior and allowing the living Savior to change their living. May God help us to be those people. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank You so much for who You are. Thank You for the kind attentiveness of people to listen to the Word of God. Lord, as I've spoken today, have You touched someone's heart to show them they need You? If so, dear God, I ask that they would not ignore that. But that today, they would receive You as their Savior. God, I pray You'll strengthen Your people to walk in newness. Not to keep choosing the dark ways of their past, Lord, but please help them. Help me, Father, to walk right, clear, clean, strong before You. God, may we show people our living Savior in the way we live. Bless these folks and may the invitation time be precious to you, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. A song invitation, something you need to bring before the Lord. Some of you ought to decide today, you know, like somebody says, today I'm going to start a diet. Today I'm going to start exercise. Why don't you decide today, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to find out about this resurrected living. Today I'm going to let Christ influence my life. I'm going, I'm going, to, I'm going to get off my own agenda. Let's start pleasing the Lord with what I do. It would be a good thing for you. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, a number of people in the room can take a Bible and show you scripturally, scripturally, how you can know the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. We'd love to do that. We have a song invitation. You need to come this morning. Maybe turn to a neighbor and ask them for help.